Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. So I've been so after uh, yesterday's logical fallacy, it got me thinking about uh, logic in the time of the coronavirus. And what's fascinating to me is it's it's well known, and I've mentioned it before, but it's you know nothing original with me that if you want to keep someone from thinking, all you need to do is inject a little fear into them. Fear is the great mind killer. And it makes it difficult for us to think well and clearly when we're fearful. And that's, you know, completely understandable. I mean, there's actual biological processes that go along um, with that. So it's not even just a, you know, a simple problem of, oh, we get distracted or something. It's actually, a, you know, neurological, biochemical response to external stimulus. And so when, you're, when, <clears throat> when you feel fear, um, then your thinking tends to go downhill just precipitously. And I'm sure we've all experienced this. If you've ever had a test, you're worried about it, and you sit down the test, and all of a sudden you discover your mind has gone blank. You're like, yes, welcome to the world of thinking with fear. Um, and so what happens in that blankness, in the, in the space that's created by fear, all kinds of things are interjected. It tends to be um, uh, much of the worst of our thinking habits. Sort of, we, we fall back on our, our personal experiences, which may not be very applicable to whatever situation we find ourselves in. We fall back on cliches. We fall back on prejudices. All of these sort of um, bad thinking habits come to the fore and overwhelm our capacity to actually think. Um, and if ever there was a time when people were feeling um, fearful and unnerved, I think, you know, we can say we're safely in one of those. You know, we're in unprecedented times. And it's nothing like the unknown to make people feel uncomfortable. Again, totally natural when you're like, ooh, what's going to happen? When will we be off lockdown? Nobody knows. What will it be like when we get off lockdown? Nobody knows. What will the cost of this be? No one knows, right? And so here we stand sort of suspended, as it were, in the void, Um and we look to the future, and a future that we thought we had the capacity to predict with some reliability has suddenly grown just unknowable, chaotic. Um, you know, we, we, the, the, all of our foundations have been torn away, and, and our current experience has been transformed. And so people have sort of been moved into this state of anxiety that, of course, again, just simply uh, more or less prevents our capacity to think with any sort of deep clarity. Um, and so I want to, you know, emphasize that one reason to avoid logical fallacies uh, is to prevent yourself from falling into all these thought traps because logical fallacies are essentially little uh, fault, um, thinking faults that suck us in. And so one I wanted to talk about, or a couple at least, as um, that has come up recently is the false analogy problem. And so people keep trying to come up with analogies for the pandemic, and generally speaking, they aren't very apt. Um, so one I heard recently was, you know, more people die in car accidents every year than have been killed by the coronavirus so far in the United States. And this, this is true. It's absolutely true. But the question is, are car accidents like a pandemic? Is that a, is that a good analogy? If it's a good analogy, then it helps us think. Ah, if it's a false analogy then it prevents us from thinking. In this case, of course, a false analogy. So I'll give a simple example of this. Is if I say students are like nails, they only work when you hit them on the head, that would be a false analogy. Because students really, in, in any set of meaningful ways, I don't think you can consider them to be uh, nails. 
So you don't need to hit them in the head to make them work. Although you know, sometimes you might want to. Um, so then you think car accidents. Well, is a pandemic like a car accident? Answer, pandemic, not like a car accident. Because the way a pandemic works is one person gets sick and then two people get sick and then four people get sick and then 16 people get sick and then 32, 64, 128. And pretty soon, you know, things are looking bad. That's where we are. We're in the things are looking bad state. With a car accident, it's, it's sort of a set risk. But imagine if a car accident were like pandemics, that you picked up the newspaper and you read, oh, there was a car accident in my community. We do this all the time. Well, if the next day you picked up the newspaper and read, oh, there were two car accidents, and then the next day you said there were four car accidents, and the next day there were eight car accidents, and the next day there were 16 car accidents, and the next day there were 30, one of those days you would be like, wait a second, the risk of getting in a car is getting crazy. Is it at 64, you know, 120? At some point, people will be like, wait, 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 we've got a problem. And if we don't address the problem, one of these days I'm going to pick up the newspaper and there's going to have been 500,000 car accidents. So car accidents don't function um, at all, essentially, in the way that um, pandemics function. Pan pandemics have this different sort of modality of spreading. And so this is, this is just uh, one of those difficult uh, analogies that actually blocks thinking. So whenever we say something is like something else, now again, it's not necessarily wrong, but you want to stop and ask yourself and say, is this analogy really representative of, are, are these things sufficiently alike that we can draw meaningful conclusions from their content? Um, sometimes this is true. You can say, oh, I'm trying to think of a good analogy. You can say, well, you know, if you want to understand how to bake pizza dough, you know, maybe you can look at how to make bread and go, look, you know, they're different. One's very flat, you know, one big fluffy bread, but basically a flat bread, not that different from dough bread, uh, regular, you know, bread that you make into a loaf. And so, hey, you can learn some things there. But if you said pizza dough is like barbecued chicken, you're like, hmm. You might cook them in a hot, uh, you know, yeah, this is not going to work that well, right? But we fall for this all the time. And so this is another problem. Anytime people say, well, you know, the United States is like Rome and, you know, our morals have gone wrong. And so we're going to collapse like the Romans collapsed. You want to stop and say, hey, are we meaningfully like the Roman Empire? Answer, no. Uh, just so in case you're wondering, uh, you know, there's not a lot of strict comparison there that makes sense. And the differences are so vast that it just really is not going to be that helpful for thinking. And so again, anytime you see analogies, you just want to be really careful and just stop and ask, is this an appropriate analogy? If it is, you can, again, there are many analogies that allow you to draw mean, you know, conclusions that are meaningful and helpful, but often um, they mislead you. Another one, and this is actually quite appropriate for a pandemic, is this question of slippery slope. And you go, oh, if, if uh, my favorite example is, there, by the way, it can be an upslope, which is where things get better, and a downslope where things get worse. But usually it's a slippery slope downhill. Um, but one, again, that I work with my students, I say, okay, you know, if you work hard in high school and you do well, 
then you will go to a good college. If you go to a college and work hard and do well, then you'll graduate from college and you'll get a good job. And if you work hard and do well at your job, then you'll have a, make a lot of money and you'll have a happy life and things will be great. Right? This is our standard narrative of why you have to work hard in school. Of course, this is a total logical fallacy. Um, you can do sort of mediocre in, in high school and spend a lot of time enjoying yourself and still go to a perfectly decent high school because in the United or college in the United States we have a lot of really really and I mean a lot of really good call quality colleges and you know we accept a lot of students so you really don't have to work that hard so all you, all these students out there are listening to this if there are any you know don't worry take it easy enjoy yourself because uh, you just don't have to do that well. Um, so then the next step is, oh, so you go to college, you go to a good college, whatever the hell that means. You go to a good college and you study and you work hard. Okay, that's nice. You learn stuff. We want to do that. Does that mean you're going to get a good job? Answer, no. A, what the hell do you mean by a good job? And B, um, there's no guarantee. As the graduating class of 2020 here is about to discover, unfortunately, that that theoretical equation that, oh, if you do well in high school, college, and then you'll graduate and get a good job, me, is meeting an economy that is, you know, in to, sort of tabular, unknown terror. We have no idea, uh, terra incognita. We don't know what's going on. Um, and then the next stage after that is if you get a good job, again, what is a good job, and you work hard, lots of people get good jobs that they like and work hard and get fired, or the company goes bankrupt, or the, the economy changes or something. Right? So that's no guarantee. So at every step in this process, there is no guarantee. And so this, that, this, by the way, this is the upslope that, you know, something good will happen to you if you do all these steps is, is clearly fallacious. And not that it's totally, there's no vague hint of truth of this, but it is more wrong than right and sort of does not help with our thinking. Conversely, um, if you look at like the pandemic, you go, okay, again, we have this, you know, okay, if this many people get sick, then that many people will get sick, and then this many people will get sick, and then that many people will get sick. Now, that is a slippery slope, right? You know, we're going, in this case, down, we're getting worse and worse, and then people start dying. And the question you have to ask is, do we have the evidence to suggest that this is true? Um, and early in the pandemic, no, you could actually say no. You could say, you know, ah, we don't know what the infection rates are. We don't know what the death rates are. We don't have good testing. The data was really noisy. And lots of hopeful, wishful thinking jumped in and said, right, you know, we don't need to respond to this. And, and you could actually have made the case that the data was so noisy um, that, that you, you we just weren't sure. And so this throws us into a different place where you go, okay. We don't know. This could be a logical fallacy. This could be wrong. What are the risks of being wrong, right? And, and, and then what are the risks of trying to address those dangers? And so you see, all of a sudden, we're pushed out in this world where it's really hard to think clearly. So, I, I, you know, I feel with people. I don't want to say that, you know, those people are just being crazy. I do feel for people trying to work their way through this. But now what's happened is we've worked our way long enough into the process where we have, you know, very negative examples like Spain, where we can say, oh, look, it's true. The transmission rate is high. The death rate there in Spain is running close to 10%. I mean, that mortality rate is, is unimaginably high, right? That these, this, this really high mortality rate, really rapid spread rate. 
And so if we don't respond, we now have a very much less noisy, very clear predictive model of what's going to happen. Conversely, we have examples now from China, from South Korea, from other countries to say, oh, if you do jump on it, if we do do what, you know, this sort of oppressive social distancing and, and lockdown, et cetera, it does delay, s- uh, slow the spread and then, you know, repress the worst results, which is skyrocketing, you know, sort of uh, rapidly advancing death rates. And so that's a case where you can say, ah, no, it's not a slippery slope, because now we have the evidence that each step of the chain, people are infecting at roughly this rate. It's a very high rate, very infectious disease. Um, The number of people who get sick, the mortality rates are much higher than we would like. Um, and they threaten not just uh, death, but they also threaten to overwhelm the healthcare system, which of course means people will die from all these other things. So for instance, back to the car wreck example, if you get in a car accident and your emergency room is filled with coronavirus, you know, COVID-19 patients, then you, you die, right? You have, they, they can't help you because there's no emergency space left. So 100% shutdown of the hospitals to deal with this problem. So those sorts of scenarios that are, you know, the, the political leaders have to look at and go, wow, how do I address that? So, you know, notice that they're in this, you know, really difficult place that they're struggling with. But now it's, the evidence is becoming clearer and clearer and has been clear for a while. Hence the reason um, much of us, whatever, how many people, what, must be over a billion, two billion people on lockdown in the world now. India announced lockdown, so that's a billion, 300 million people you know, most of the United States, lots of Europe, right? So billions, think about that, billions of people are in lockdown. But the reason they are is because now the evidence is pretty clear that this is not a slippery slope. This is actually a clearly demonstrated chain of, of, of processes. Now, what the outcome is, we don't know, which is back to where I started from, that the, 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 the problem with thinking uh, in times of fear and unknowns is it tends to dull our brains. And so if we want the slippery slope to be true, then we'll accept it even if we have evidence that suggests that it's not. And if we want it not to be true, we want to say, oh, you know, it's just car accidents or it's going to slow or only old people are dying, um, as if only old people. Um, you know, those sorts of things, and then we'll, we'll, we'll jump at those straws. But what we have to do is try and step back and ask ourselves, you know, is, are we in a fallacy? That's always the first question, right? Is this a fallacy? And if you can start getting used to thinking that way, um, then it helps. But again, the problem is, you know, we struggle because, it, uh, because we're in a time of fear and dis-ease. Um, the, the last one I'll, I, I, I like here, and this is called, uh, again, it's a type of false analogy, also, it, you know, hasty generalization. Um, you know, there's, there's so many different fallacies. By the way, these were all laid out by the Greek and Roman rhetoricians. Most of them have uh, Latin names because they were um, developed when they were trying to think through how you make clear arguments. And so these fallacies are not new. They've been, they've been with us for a long time. But if you had studied rhetoric in the ancient world, these are the kinds of things that you would have learned. But the, you know, the last one that I keep hearing is like, you know, X number of people die every year from the regular flu. So COVID-19 is not that terrifying because so few people have died. Um, The problem again here is, 
you know, if in the average flu season, you know, some number of million of people get the flu, you can look it up on the CDC website, they have these estimates, but let's just say 90 million people get the flu and then, you know, 50,000 die, that death rate is really, you know, it's 0.00, you know, two or three or 1.2, right? Zero, zero something or zero, zero, zero something, right? So it's a really, I mean, extreme phenomenally low. I mean, still a lot of people because a lot of people get the flu every year. Right now, if we only have, you know, tens of thousands, I don't know if we've hit the 100,000 infected rate yet. I mean, we probably have in the population, but the tested rate, and you have a a mortality rate that's 1% or 2%, and you run those numbers out, and you go, yes, only seven or 800 Americans have died so far, but if 90 million get the COVID-19 virus, then that translates into, you know, a million people dying. And if you have a million people who are dying, that means you have 10 million people who are in critical condition of the 90 million who got it. And of course, we don't have, we have no way to treat 10 million critically ill patients, which means the mortality rate would then skyrocket, which is, of course, unfortunately, what Italy um, and potentially Spain is now experiencing. And so, again, people want to jump at these numbers and make a hasty generalization and say, oh, well, it's like the flu or it's like car accidents or it's like these other things. And it's like, ah, is it true? In these cases, mm, not really. Uh, it's, 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 we need to stop and, you know, breathe and try to avoid these fallacies. But even, you know, outside, forget the, you know, pandemic for a moment, uh, and just in general life, we struggle with this. It's always a problem. That's why the ancient Greek and Roman rhetoricians, the classical Chinese authors talk about these things. You know, it's no, no, it's, it's, as soon as you start thinking, you realize that the human mind is just really ill-suited um, in many ways to try and think clearly about anything. Um, I always, you know, it's just, we're just not good at it. And so just take a moment to breathe, you know, try to uh, absorb the evidence and go, wow, you know, what's the unknowns? We're always uncomfortable with those. Uh, You know, false certainty is a big thinking problem. problem. Um, People want to know. And so we assume greater certainty about our knowledge than uh, than the situation actually uh, suggests we should have. And so we reach for the knowns and, the, and we want an analogy. So then we know this analogy. We know the common flu. So if this flu is like the common flu, now I feel great and I feel comfortable. And then I know the common flu. Everybody gets it every year and it was just not that bad. So now I can feel good. It's a feeling. I feel good about where I am and I feel like I understand the world and I feel like I have a grasp on the knowns. And it's like, great. It's so much better than going, we have this unknown we don't know the impact now the evidence suggests would be massive and terrible, but exactly how massive and terrible, we don't know, right? And so to sit with the unknowns and still have to act and respond and reflect, whew, that's a tea. Well, wow, that's a challenge, a challenge for us. So just, you know, I would say again, when you have fear, the mind wants to shut down. And it's a time when a lot of people are feeling a lot of fear and a lot of dis-ease, which is perfectly understandable. Um, and, uh, so yeah, take a moment, think and reflect and try to avoid those logical fallacies.